0: And welcome to the Post Party Project. My name is Amy Heinrich and I am your host. Join me as we chat all things postpartum, celebrating the highs and supporting you through the lows. Everything pregnancy and birth is just such an exciting time, but often chats about postpartum experiences get missed or overlooked because everything's about the baby, which we are also totally here for. But I'm here to hear you and hold you, figuratively speaking, and to listen to your experience. Think of this podcast as your safe space to share, vent, cry, laugh and know that you're not alone. Now, let's get into it. Hello, welcome back to the Post Party Project. Uh, In today's episode, I chat with the wonderful Renee from Feel Your Cup and the Science of Motherhood podcast, Fill Your Cup is a postpartum mother-loving doula business which services, nourishes, and nurtures sleep-deprived mamas. Renee's podcast, which she hosts alongside Dr. Mika Batucci, The Science of Motherhood, takes a deep dive into the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. In today's chat, Renee and I talk about her postpartum experience with her daughter, the importance of nutrition postpartum, and how you can build a village of supportive mamas and friends even in a new city or town. There's honestly so much juicy information in this chat. I hope you get a lot out of it. Renee has also been so kind to give us a discount code for the Fill Your Cup products, which are launching at the end of July. They've just launched a Choc and Goji lactation cookie mix, a creamy coconut dial mix, and a postpartum recovery sits. You can use code PPP10 for 10% off at checkout. I honestly think this would make an awesome gift if you've got pregnant friends or if you're currently pregnant yourself so you can jump on and stock up you can pre-order from Sunday the 24th of July their website is ifeelyourcup.com but enough from me let's get into today's chat Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Renee. I am so excited for this chat. Just speaking to you before, there's so many topics that I just can't wait to hear about your postpartum experience. So thank you for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's um a bit different to be on the reverse side of it all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So yeah, let's um, hear a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do and who's in your family. Yeah,
1: sure. So... Um, I'm Renee. I'm currently living in Hobart, Tasmania. I was originally from Melbourne. This is a new move for myself and my family. Um, I'm a wife. I'm a mother to one beautiful, um, exuberant, (laughs) nearly five, although she probably tells me that she's nearly 15, I would say, (laughs) um, daughter. Um, We are one and done, so we are just going to have the one child. I thought... I would break the three generations of only children on my partner's side, but um, I will probably dive in a bit deeper (laughs) about the hows and the whys around that um, shortly. But, um, yeah, so I am the director of Fill Your Cup, which is a postpartum doula mother-loving business. And um, my, I guess, my Robin to my Batman is Dr. Mika Batucci. And we started Fill Your Cup back in 2020. In the middle of the pandemic, we both quit our jobs, uh, which people said we were mad to do. Um, and we created this stooler village, which now services um, and nourishes and nurtures overwhelmed and sleep-deprived mamas across Melbourne and Hobart. And so um, our doula village is made up of seven wonderful, beautiful women that we get to work with. So a quick shout-out to um, mm-hmm. Mika and Amanda and Georgie and Caitlin and Samara and Kate. Um, we absolutely could not be doing this without them. Um, And yeah, that's probably my background. Or I might say that this is actually my third career change. Um, So in a previous life, before I was a postpartum doula, I was an attorney. So I worked in intellectual property, uh, which is kind of working with big pharma on um, biologicals and pharmaceuticals and things like that. And the way I got there was I was a scientist, so a biochemist by trade. I've got a PhD in biochemistry and immunology, Um, so I'm a massive science nerd. (laughs) Hence our podcast um, that Mika and I do, which is called The Science of Motherhood. So we kind of break down the jargon and the research and we interview academics and experts and, One of the things that we noticed when we were scientists was it was incredibly difficult, well, we thought so, anyway, to kind of get our science to the community. Um, And that's what we try to do in our podcast. We try to bridge that gap and bring fact um, to mamas and families around things like sleep and feeding and, you know, neuroscience around infant behavior and and things like that. So
0: all of those things have kept me very, very busy for the past few
1: decades.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's epic. I feel like you are just such a wealth of knowledge combining all those kind of three things into it and coming out as a podcast is just amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's exciting times, um, to kind of bring it all together. But as I said, yeah, people thought I was mad leaving all of that behind, but, um, they have all, I guess, each one of my jobs that I've had, and I'm gonna say as a mother as well, that is a job that has mm. all informed me and empowered me to do what I do today and mm. um to nurture and nourish um mamas here in Hobart and, and in Melbourne.
0: Yeah, that's so epic. Um so how did you go about uh did you guys plan to get pregnant when you did? Like Yeah. How did that all come Absolutely.
1: So I'm a type A personality. I plan everything. I have a list of a list of a list. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I definitely knew that, well, for me, I felt like the clock was ticking. So when you change careers, it's kind of like, oh my God, I'm going to have to put everything back on, on the back burner. Um, and so, I was kind of creeping into my 30s and I still hadn't finished all my exams for my um, patent attorney position, but I knew that those final exams were coming up. So I was like, okay, you know, let's start getting your body ready and, um, you know, went off the pill And that was an experience in and of itself Mm. because I had been on contraception since I was, like, 16. So my body was like, what the? (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's going on here? Yeah. And so we were kind of planning, but I think we had decided that I you know, we would probably try after my last exam, you know, I was very mindful of being stressed and being pregnant because um, I am a bit of a stressy person. And um, it, it apparently turns out that I'm quite fertile. <laughs> so...
0: <laughs> That's awesome. After being on the pill for so long, you never know what your body's going to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, between coming off the pill and and um, conceiving my ch- my daughter, it was probably about four or five months, but we were planning on, you know, properly trying um, probably the start of uh, 2017, but it turns out that I got pregnant at the end of 2016 Um, and I timed it so perfectly that I was 10 weeks pregnant when I was sitting my final exam, (laughs)
0: which... (laughs)
1: It's not, (laughs) it's not ideal, it's not ideal at all because um, as others can probably attest to, you're feeling pretty rubbish around that time and, for me, I nearly turned into a potato gem because all I wanted to do was consume carbs. Yeah. And then the downfall of that is you become constipated. And then you're just <laughs> like, oh my God, this is literally the worst combination ever. Yeah.
0: And so, your brain as well. I feel like I had the worst mum brain all through pregnancy. So I don't know how you're sitting there doing an exam. <laughs> it was,
1: it was a serious struggle. I, yeah, it was, I'm glad that it was in the morning because I typically, um, was much better in the morning. And as the day progressed, it, the fatigue actually was the thing that got me. So I distinctly remember like I would come in from work and I would just put my bag down, take my work clothes off. Um, we had a sleeping bag on the couch and we had like this tiny little one bedroom apartment and I would just slip into my pajamas like fall onto the couch throw the sleeping bag over me and I would sleep for like 2 hours every single night for like a couple of weeks it was um so yeah I just the fatigue
0: yeah it <laughs> was so so bad yeah how did you go in that exam <laughs> well I
1: passed
0: so That's good. <laughs> but
1: I guess I think that you know I I do want to flag though that was something that really concerned me as well I mean I had just done four years, three, three and a half years of, you know, education again, my employer at the time had paid for that course. I was just about to become qualified. So theoretically they were going to start to get their money's worth, you Mm. know, of, of investing in me. And here I was getting pregnant and it Mm. was something that played on my mind a lot and um, particularly in the law industry as well it's not it's not really known for being quite supportive of women yeah, um, particularly breeding women um, yeah. and so I was a little bit apprehensive about that but having said that though, when I knew I wanted to get into this profession, I was quite particular with the firms that I was looking at joining. And the firm that I joined was run by women. And not only run by women, it was run by women who had children. And so I thought to myself, okay, if I want to have a family, this is probably going to be my best fit. And they were incredibly supportive. I was more mindful of the industry rather than um, the people internally but it was, it was a serious learning curve.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Having a baby and working in an industry like that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. hope Yeah. I'm excited to get into that as well. How did you go through the rest of your pregnancy?
1: Um, it was, it was pretty good. I think, uh, you know, I had the the nausea and things like that and the fatigue in the beginning. I think the only thing I really complained about was I have a tiny torso and my husband is quite tall. And so I knew that we were most likely going to have quite a long baby (laughs) and it did turn out that way. And um, I would just say that uh, she kicked a lot. And so my ribs were really suffering. They felt like the burning gates of hell most days. (laughs) But I found this amazing massage therapist um, in South Melbourne. I think it's like Urban Body Spa or something. And they're, they're renowned for their futon pregnancy massages where you get to literally lie on a futon on your side, you know, draped in this beautiful like sheet and you're kind of... Um, in the fetal position holding a a pillow and they Mm -hmm. massage you, oh, my God, (laughs) it is just heaven, absolute Mm -hmm. heaven. So I would highly recommend anyone in Melbourne who's having difficulties with... um, ribs or um you know pelvis or anything mm. like that go see the girls um over there and it's not sponsored in any way I feel <laughs> yeah. like it needs to every, every yeah. pregnant woman needs to know about it <laughs> yeah and if you're not there get there. Yes. there yes and I think um from memory it was because it was a remedial massage you could claim some of it on your private health insurance if you mm. had it so yeah you don't need any more incentivization to go <laughs> than that,
0: I think. Yeah, epic. Um, did you have much of a birth plan? Did you plan throughout your pregnancy for how that you wanted that to go? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, gosh, I laugh. Um, <laughs> did I have a birth plan? I, I think my only plan was uh, let's just get through it. And I honestly the entire time was like, yes, I want to birth vaginally, Um, I think I had pretty much said, I'm happy to have every drug under the sun. I just need it to be like calm and what have you. Um, What eventuated though was something very, very different. And again, I'm pretty sure a lot of mothers can uh, attest to this. You know, you go in with these great intentions and sometimes it all goes to the shit. Um, And so what happened for me was, As you've probably heard, you know, I was a scientist and then I was an attorney and then I was pregnant and it had all been go, go, go for my whole entire life and people in my friends and family kind of network joke that I just don't ever rest or take a breath. Um, And so when I went on maternity leave at 36 weeks, I finally had this opportunity to stop. And I had a lot of time to myself and um, my brain went into massive overdrive and I started to panic and really, really mentally spiral and it was not good at all. And it got to the point where, you know, my husband said to me, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to talk you off the edge in a situation where, you know, you're in labour and you're in pain and we're in a high-stress situation because you are already one foot off the edge and you're like, you're great. You've got a great pregnancy. There was nothing, you know, quote-unquote, nothing to worry about. Um, And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is the birthing classes that we partook in, which were just run by the hospital. It was a private hospital in Melbourne. And you instill all of your trust in these people because they're medical professionals and you kind of assume that they know best and, you know, you listen to what they say. And I did not walk out of those sessions going, I've totally got this, you know? Like Mm. there was no thought or feeling. Both myself and my husband would talk about that. And so I think it was just, again, that unknown, I, I, I'm i a type A personality. I like to be in control. I like to know what's going to happen next. And for the first time in my life, I couldn't predict what was going to happen. I had no idea. And I really had no control about what was happening. Mm. <clears throat> and so what eventuated was that I just called my obstetrician and I said, I need to come in and I need to speak to you about all of this. And um, I just said to her, I want to have an elective caesarean because I'm just not sure about my mental headspace. And from talking to people and the research that I had done, it's a lot of mental headspace that when you go into birth, like you need to like be in the zone and you... <clears throat> and you need to really kind of connect with yourself and be at one and just you know just mask out all that white noise mm. and I I, I I was like I can't do this I can't do this at all so I spoke to her about it and she was like yeah okay I can I can see where this is going and it's going to go south pretty quickly so yeah we booked in an elective um, cesarean and it was magical. I absolutely loved it. Um, Again, I was worried about what people were going to say and the judgment. And I told virtually no one because I was just terrified that people would be like, oh my God, you know, she's too posh to push or she, you know, why isn't she just going to give it a go? And um, is it really that bad? And just, you know, the conjecture around having an elective caesarean.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Did you have any anxiety going into the elective caesarean or was the anxiety more <clears> around <throat> the being unable to control what happened if you went into natural labour?
1: Yeah, 100%. It was the latter. It was the I don't know what's going to happen next, um, I'm not in control and I don't like that feeling. Yeah. I, I just never have. I'm I'm a stressy, anxious person naturally naturally mm-hmm. um, And, yeah, I just needed to be back in control again. And so Mm -hmm. with that, I just tried to make the experience as positive as I possibly could. And, of course, I was terrified, you know, you're on the chopping block literally. Um, And people were like, oh, you know, it's really painful. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. And I just I was willing to risk all of that just Mm. to be in control. And I think that says so much about (laughs) where my mental health was at Mm. that point. Um,
0: How did um, the doctor react? Because I think a lot of women would, if they felt how you were feeling, would feel very nervous going in and even suggesting that to the doctor. How did that conversation go?
1: 100%. She was incredibly supportive and um, she asked a lot of questions around my fears And she pretty much said to me at the end of it, you know, if you had walked in and just said to me, I'm really scared of being in pain, as in, you know, a vaginal birth being quite painful and that's it, she said I probably would have advocated for you to just have a vaginal birth because she said I find that, you know, once you get into it and, you know, we can support you around that, whereas... Once you head down that slippery slope of, you know, your mental health, the anxiety, the control and all that kind of stuff, said, that's a whole different ball game. That's something where we don't want to risk, you know, birth trauma. One in three women experience birth trauma because of, you know, these phenomenons. Mm-hmm. So being listened to and being heard and respected for um, my wishes was everything that i needed um, at that point but she was she was amazing like she was just yeah i mean she's an obstetrician she's born and paid to be cool calm and collected so um it was it was such a spectacular birth i loved it so much oh
0: so how did you go into that then how did you plan um, for that to all come about
1: um <laughs> well they do advise you to go have a full bikini wax. Oh, really? <laughs> so that was, that was my first port of call. Oh, my
0: God. That sounds more terrifying than the, the <laughs> <original birth.
1: laughs> Yeah, they're just like, don't shave, you need to wax because um, they, they find that... Um, you know, you just don't want ingrown hairs or anything like that. It's wow. it's quite a funny conversation that you need to have with them. Um, they post- never told
0: me that because I had a um, a cesarean because she was breech and because I had preeclampsia. But I never got the I never got that conversation. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> so, so. Well, there we go. For those listening at home, um, mm. go get your full wax. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Not, not all. Yeah, they're not all giving that advice. So I'm like, yeah. maybe, that's, maybe that's a problem I'm going to have now.
1: That, that should be part of the checklist um uh what did I do so in terms of planning again it's so strange because I was such a space cadet when it came to planning post-birth I think the extent of it for me was you know get a nighty because then it won't be you know rubbing on your scar um I had a friend who had had already had two babies both Cesarean, and you know she was like the most important thing that you need to <laughs> consider is stay stay abreast of your um, pain medication and make sure you take the laxatives because you're not going to be able to poo because you're going to be jacked up on um, opioids. So they were the two things that I was super super mindful of in terms of like thinking about postpartum recovery and things like that. I just did not have any idea. I oh, the extent to me was um those SRC um, recovery shorts, mm-hmm. the ones that are super super tight, and I was hell bent on getting them. <laughs> and then I got them, and I was like, these are so tight, I'm not even contemplating wearing these, and like this is complete TMI, but I know we're um, in good company, but I was panicking because (laughs) because day three I still hadn't done a poo and I'm wearing these SRC recovery shorts and
0: have you worn them before? Yeah, but I got mine secondhand. So I don't think they were that tight. Okay, so they were,
1: so they were like, you know, they were, it's like, you know, when you put on a nice pair of jeans that feel like worn in. These things, straight out of the packet, I felt like an Olympic swimmer trying to get into, you know, those giant big um s- swimsuits that they've got. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm gonna have to have a laxative. And if I really need to poo, I'm gonna. It's gonna. I'm gonna need two people to get me out of this thing. So I'm gonna end up pooing myself. So I was like, it's "That's it." Be so tight in there. Yeah. Other, either that, or we're gonna have to cut these things off. So I thought, no, I'm not gonna wear them. And I ended up just going like grabbing my, um, you know, my my gym leggings that I had been getting around in for God knows how many months um, when I was pregnant. So I just wore those. They were much easier to get off. Um, so, yeah, in terms of preparing for all of it, it was so mm. minimal. I was just looking back. It is laughable. Yeah. It is absolutely laughable what I know now.
0: <laughs> yeah. How did you go then, um, I guess, straight after you had the C-section? Well, actually, how did you feel throughout the C-section? Um, Did you feel quite calm going into that, knowing what was kind of going to happen as much as you could know Um, and then I guess having her how did all that feel mentally for you
1: yeah it's a really interesting story um because obviously you're um you're quite anxious about what's about to happen next both you know you're being cut open but equally that elation of I'm about to meet my baby and um because I had kind of not pushed in line, but I (laughs) weaseled my way into the queue that week. I was first up um, on a Friday morning and I was quite nervous. We had to be there by quarter past six or something like that. And my husband was I could tell quite anxious about it. We only live 10 minutes from the hospital. So, you know, we got in the car and it's still dark outside. And I said to him, your choice for music this morning, because I I needed him to be calm. I felt okay. I was like, I'm all right. I know what I have to do. Um, so he puts Metallica on. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Um, did, and I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. well, I think it does. It's his happy place. So I was like, that's fine. And then we got to the hospital. We got into the reception area. Um, he went to the desk because I was like, I'm, I was just really big. I was only, I was 38.5, but I was huge. Like, <laughs> <laughs> felt like so over it already and I was sitting in the waiting area and I looked up at the tv and they were talking on the today show how it was daffodil day and all of a sudden I felt calm and the reason for this is the fact that daffodils mean a lot to me and my husband and his family um, and The reason behind that is when my husband decided to propose to me, we had flown from Melbourne to Tasmania and we drove out to his nan's old property and it was this huge, big piece of land and he was showing me around and the old farmhouse was still there, dilapidated, but still there. And it was the first time he'd ever taken me there and we'd been together for quite some time. And we walked out into the field and it was It was spring, just springtime. So the daffodils were kind of all coming out. And I turned around and he was kneeling down on the ground right near the daffodils. And I got so cross because I was Mm. like, don't pull those up. They're not yours. You can't can't (laughs) do that. And I thought that he was like about to pick daffodils. And it turns out that he was getting the ring out from in between socks (laughs) Um, and he proposed to me there on his nan's property. And so I then had, you know, a bouquet of daffodils for our wedding that was like, you know, my thing and everything. And so I had no idea at the time when I was about to give birth that it was Daffodil Day at all. But when I looked up at that TV and saw that it was, I immediately just felt at peace. I was like, today is our day. Everything will go fine. And that was it. And that is, I walked in there and I was like, "No, nah, it's meant to be. We're doing
0: this. So That's so yeah. beautiful. That's such a nice yeah, sign.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm definitely one of those people. Even though I'm a scientist, I'm like, I'm happy to receive signs from the
0: universe at any time. <laughs> yeah, so good. Um, so did, it all went smooth, obviously, when they, they got her out?
1: Yeah, it did. It went pretty well she um cried within seconds and hasn't stopped talking since so um yeah it was it was it was a really really lovely birth yeah oh, that's was great.
0: so good um how did you feel immediately after like i guess physically and oh, mentally
1: god <laughs> um completely spaced out drugged i'm not a person who takes pain medication a lot um i can like I can't have codeine at all, but I feel like I can see fairies and things like that. So I'm a bit of a, um, I'm a really cheap date. That's what I am. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if there's wine on the table. And so um, I just felt, yeah, really, really spaced out and already exhausted, you know, just the exhilaration of meeting your child and um, things like that. So, Um, yeah, but it was equally nice to be lying on my back for the first time in like, you know, nine months. That was probably the positive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Such a good feeling. Um, how did you decide to feed her?
1: Um, I think I'd always kind of gone in with, I'll try breastfeeding and I'll give it a go. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, um, Having said that, though, I did have quite a bit of difficulty in those first couple of days. Just that, again, I wasn't educated on um, things that could be helping me at all. And I had done a breastfeeding course as part of the hospital program. But, again, like I don't know about you, but the videos looked like they were from, like, 1986. (laughs) And I was just like, I have no idea what what is going on
0: at all. And And it's hard when you do them before you actually have a baby and you've never had a baby before. So you're like, I don't know what this like position is or anything when you're watching other people do it.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, what I quickly discovered was that, you know, the hospital was very busy and they had a lactation room there available for you to go into. But there was 15 other women in there and there was one lactation consultant. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's stressful enough being in your own room with a screaming baby, let alone 15 other screaming babies and a woman who's just kind of like moving around the room, shuffling around, and you're just in sheer desperation of like, oh, my God, please come and help me. But you can see, like, she's one person with two pairs of hands, one pair of hands, you know, two hands. Um, And so it was really, really um, tricky. And so what happened was, you know, I'm was in a very privileged position being in a private hospital and they had the opportunity for me to um, go into a hotel, obviously to free up a bed for another person. But we opted to go to the hotel for the third and fourth night and it was the best decision we ever made because there was only two, myself and one other patient there, and we had one midwife between the two of us and it was 24-hour care. And we quickly identified, she's like, look, your nipples are really flat. Let's try a nipple shield. And I was like, Really? And she was like, Yep. Do you want to give it a go? And I was like, Yeah, I'm happy to give it a go. Instead of, I had some of some midwives were like, and I love midwives. I'm not trying to like, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> brandish them or anything like that that. But I did have a couple who were just trying to do that manhandling of like shoving the baby mm. on your boob. And you just kind of like, I don't think that's really working. And, you know, obviously my daughter's getting very distressed and I'm getting distressed. Um, and it was the first time that someone had said to me, do you want to try this? Mm. Not yeah. let's do this. Yeah. And here, give me your boob and, you know, all the rest mm. of it. It was, do you want to try this? And I was like, oh, do I get a choice? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, sure. Let's, let's give it a go. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, it was just full steam ahead because finally, you know, she had something to latch onto. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was having said that though, I always had, I think in the back of my mind that I was like, this could turn at any time. And you know, you hear about breast refusal. I, I mean, I, I see it with clients all the time now. Mm. And some mums either have to top up or whatever it is. So I was very, very fortunate. I did have one bout of mastitis, um, but that was very late on. And I think that was because I had returned to work and I was pretty stressed and mm. started wearing an underwear bra again, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, those yeah, classic yeah. combinations.
0: Yeah, but yeah.
1: Apart from that, it was it was pretty good.
0: Yeah. yeah oh that's awesome so um how was it when you got home and settled in with her mm.
1: I was fortunate enough to have my mother-in-law stay with us for two weeks which was amazing um you know to just do the washing and make some meals and make sure that we were well fed and things like that and it's funny though because I didn't Research anything about postpartum. I was just obsessed with the pregnancy journey, and to the extent of like, oh yeah, I just want a vaginal birth, and then that's just stopped. Like, I had no clue about postpartum whatsoever, and it's one of the things that I talk to our, you know, our clients about. It's like if you are just planning for the wedding and not the marriage afterwards, then we're gonna have a problem, you know. You've got to think about the journey afterwards. And I had no idea. I had two, you know, freezer packs of spaghetti bolognese in, you know, in the freezer. And I was like, oh, it's fine. I'm going to be home all the time with this baby. I'm going to have so much time on my hands. It's going to be amazing. And what you don't know, well, I didn't. And a lot of people, a lot of mamas go into this, is you don't have time because your baby wants to sleep on you all the time because that's where they feel safe. You're their safe haven. And for the first, um, you know, two to three months, they don't actually realize that they're outside of the womb, (laughs) you know, so they need to be with you all the time. Um, So, yeah, it was quite a struggle. And the sleep deprivation just was next level for me. Mm.
0: Yeah. I really? think you just think like, cause I was kind of similar. I just, you see people on Instagram or like, I don't know, unrealistic, but it's mm-hmm. like, you hear people say that, um, oh, you can do work or whatever while the baby naps, or you can do this while the baby naps. And that's all well and good if your baby naps in their bed. <laughs> but I was like, well, then you have unrealistic expectations. Like, okay, well, why isn't she napping in her bed? And then I yeah. felt like I was beating myself up a lot. Like, what am I doing wrong? And now that I know what I know, I'm like, that yeah. is completely normal. You need to give yourself time. just let them sleep on you or like even now she likes to nap on me and she's like almost 18 months so Yeah. yeah yeah it's just normal
1: and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it as you say it is it is normal and I think normalizing motherhood is one of the things that we really need to start getting better at doing because, as you say, we're exposed to so much on social media um, and and even in our own communities. Um, we, we've we lost our village. We've lost that. And, and that was, for me, that was the issue because we had moved to a new suburb when I was about 32 weeks pregnant. I knew no one. I had no family, no friends close by. I was, you know one of the first people within my friendship group to um, have a baby. And so when you don't have that village, you're not observing the women around you. You're not observing your aunties, your cousins, your older sister or, or someone like that around, you know, how are they managing with that baby? What are they doing? What's working? What's not working? What do they need? Um, in order to thrive, and you know, traditional cultures—if we look to them and learn from them—it is completely opposite to what we do. I mean, in our kind of communities, we're having giant, big baby showers. I had one. Okay, I'm not—I'm not saying they're wrong or right or whatever. But it's about the baby shower. It's about people coming over and going, "Oh, I come. Can I come and have a look at the baby?" It's like. Tsk, don't stop. Like it really needs to start to reposition back to the mother. Traditional cultures put mothers on a pedestal. As soon as they have a baby, they are like the queen of the village. They do not lift a finger. They do not cook. They do not clean. They do not look after other, you know, older children. It is the women and the community who does that for her. And they do that because they understand that, When a woman becomes a mother, it takes so much for her to recover from that, from a great pregnancy, let alone like, you know, quite a challenging pregnancy. And she needs to, first of all, replenish her body of all the nutrients that she's lost by growing her baby, right? Mm. That in and of itself is a huge task, Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she needs those kind of nutrients to recover and then add the layer of sleep de- deprivation on top. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, sleep deprivation is used in the military as like you know warfare mm-hmm. <laughs> and like add a screaming baby to that mix and it's just a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think, um, I, I really don't think mothers are, valued enough in society and it's because we're told that we can do it all and we're super women and we've got you know that's where we've been put on a pedestal mm-hmm. and we're in nuclear kind of families now we don't have a lot of family and friends nearby mm-hmm. and it's almost like we've lost that support network where we call in to just look after the mum, not the baby. Mm. Um, Yeah, that's definitely what I felt um, during my postpartum. And again, you know, these are all the things that we talk about with our clients. If there's one piece of information that I would give them is fill your freezer with food because the food is what is going to fuel you in your postpartum recovery. So if you had absolutely... No village, no community support, nothing. The food is what is going to keep you going. And if you've got that already there, ready to rock and roll, and all you have to do is throw something in an oven or put it on a, you know, in a pot on the stove or something like that, it's just going to be so beneficial for you and your body, particularly Mm -hmm. if you're breastfeeding as well, for your child as well.
0: Yeah. Um, what was your experience with your own postpartum nutrition and your journey through that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Again, I laugh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, I was, as I said, I was a biochemist. I should have known better. I should have un- like really understood what was going on. I made the fatal error of stopping my, um, my pregnancy vitamin as like the day that I gave birth. Um, I had a rubbish vitamin looking back again, I didn't do the research on it. I trusted the healthcare system and, you know, my doctor said, oh, yep, go have that prenatal vitamin. Everyone probably knows what it is. It starts with E. Mm -hmm. Um, I do not recommend that one at all. And there's reasons behind that, um, which I think would be a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the the quality and the bioavailability of the particular nutrients and and um, substances in there are not great. Um, there's much better ones out on the market. But in terms of postpartum recovery. Like I was eating toasts and and Tim Tams for God's Mm. sakes, like Mm. Nutrigrain sustained me. I don't know how I didn't get a sponsorship deal out of that because (laughs) I was consuming that at the rate of knots. And looking back, the reason behind it is because it was sugar and it was protein and it was carb and it was all in one meal. And that is what my body was craving. But I know now the types of things that um, mothers should be having and Mm. um. That's how we kind of developed our fill-your-cup mama menu. So we do all of our cooking in home for our mamas and they get a beautiful menu to help replenish and um, recover in that postpartum period. So you're looking at things like um, eggs, animal products, um, things that are very soupy and brothy to get that hydration back into them because they've just lost they've lost a human being, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you, you know yeah. that's vacated. Mm. They've probably lost um, blood along the way. So you want things that are really iron rich. So if you can stomach liver in a really nice palatable form, like chicken liver and things like that, that is amazing as well. Um, lentils, dark kind of green leafy vegetables um, are amazing for iron and they're great for fatigue, right? Mm. So- anything where you can kind of kick the fatigue to the curb is amazing. Collagen. Oh my goodness. Collagen, collagen, collagen. It is like the mainstay of pretty much every single one of our dishes at FYC. Any opportunity to sneak bone broth into a meal, we do. And the reason is that It is um, responsible for healing connective tissue and skin. So if you think about a mama's body when you're pregnant, your stomach is stretching, stretching, stretching. Your uterus is stretching, stretching, stretching. Everything is stretching. And so you need all that beautiful connective tissue through collagen to replenish all of that. And also with tissue healing as well. So particularly if you've had a C-section or you've um, torn you've got an episiotomy or something like that collagen is going to become your best best friend um, and also things like uh, vitamin b12 which is required for red cell development and energy production so again feeding into that fatigue as well. Um, And also if you're breastfeeding, B12 has been known for aiding brain and behavioural and muscle development of your baby because, you know, whatever you're eating is going into your breast milk, which is going into your baby. So Mm. things that are really high in B12, um, I think like fermented foods, so like a sauerkraut or something like that is, is really, really good. Liver, again, is great. You can get a good free-range chicken liver, pate, again, on toast or something. Like that's a really easy one-handed snack. Mm. Eggs, 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 eggs. Eggs are like (laughs) this like, you know how when you're a kid and you kind of just eat bananas all the time, they're kind of like, you know, nature's kind of um, energy-packed food. Mm. For a mama, it's eggs. Mm -hmm. So things like that, we recommend say someone's coming over to your house and they come to see the baby, (laughs) get them, like get them to boil up like four or five eggs, hard boil them, shell them for you and then put them in the fridge. And if Mm -hmm. they are fantastic one-handed snacks that we recommend for all our vowel mamas. And I think the other thing that I wanted to mention also is zinc, which is essential for wound healing, Mm -hmm. Uh, great for immunity, digestion, hormone regulation as well. Um, And foods that are high in zinc are things like um, shellfish and red meat, chicken, legumes, and nuts. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like... I would say, oh, and there's one more, one more, which is actually quite important. And I feel like it gets lost and is very undervalued, which is DHA or omega-3. And the reason behind that is that um, studies have actually shown us that an adequate intake of um, DHA may lower your risk of developing postnatal depression.
0: Mm, so Which interesting
1: is ve- yeah and mm. it kind of supports that notion of um you know our, our stomach is our second brain and mm. everything is talking right everything is talking and the quality of your dha and omega-3 actually affects the fat composition in the breast milk as well mm. and Studies have shown us that infants of mothers with high DHA concentration in their milk have better neural and visual development as well. So mm-hmm. foods that you're looking for, um, a good quality seafood, so, you know, sustainable fish and things like that, grass-fed beef, and again, our good friend eggs.
0: So that's what I mean. <laughs> mm, yeah, they have everything. <laughs> get your
1: eggs, get your eggs free range. Um, the quality does matter when it comes to eggs as mm. well.
0: Yeah, um, you were mentioning before about building a village. If, we, if someone has moved to another area like yourself and they're a bit lost, what can we do to build a village or to feel that support if we yeah. don't feel like we have it?
1: Yeah, exactly. Great question. And it's something that I d- didn't really have a clue what I was doing back then. But again, lessons learned and, you know, welcome to motherhood. Mm. Um, I had to do it again when I came here to Tasmania. So I knew a couple of mums here, but I was reflecting on it and um, wrote down a few notes and we ended up turning it into a full podcast for Mika and myself because we felt like it was something that we really needed to kind of get out there. And so I, I think there's five main things that I would highly recommend. The first thing is it's kind of it starts with you getting comfortable with the idea because for someone who's an introvert like Mika was, you um, you know it's a very different way of tackling it even as an extrovert like myself it's that oh my god you know i'm going to have to go out there and find new people to kind of share and be vulnerable mm-hmm. with because that's what you're going to do mm-hmm. that's the best type of village that you need someone where you can be vulnerable with them and they're not going to judge or anything like that so you know it it does it starts with getting comfortable with the notion of building this village The second point is finding like-minded mothers. I think that's really important because obviously like any friend network, you you don't want to be stuck with people where you're like, oh, that is not a value I have. You know, that type of thing. Um, That can get really tricky again when you're trying to be vulnerable and trust (laughs) those those women in the group or men, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. Um, They're all part of the village. Um, My recommendation for that, is find local playgroups, you know, sports clubs, talk to people at your local grocery store, you know, over the fence. One of the first people that we met were literally our neighbours, like, you know, 50 metres <laughs> over there. It's just that's, I guess that step is the bravery part. You know, you've got comfortable with it. Now you need to be brave and kind of step out of, of that comfort zone. Um, and then you need to gather so typically there's you need a champion in your village someone who's a bit organized um and who's happy to gather everyone Mm. um that could be you that could not be you you might want to rotate take a roster system whatever it is um but you do need someone to kind of champion that village and I highly recommend like things that are nice for gathering are like joint cookups. Like we're going to have, you know, there's a few mums in my village at the moment we've decided we're going to have a curry night. Um, And so everyone's going to make a different curry and the kids can all get together and it's really nice to kind of have a buffer zone of everyone looking after each other's kids. Like it's just so much easier when you parent together. Mm -hmm. Um, Offering to babysit their kids for like an hour and you take it in turns, just having an opportunity to step out of the house by yourself, go for a walk, listen to a podcast, you know, while you're doing that, having some self-care time is invaluable. We know that the research tells us that so, so often. Um, Self-care is so important, particularly for reducing postnatal depression and or anxiety. Um, And I always recommend once you've done that, pass it on. Find someone else who needs a village. Start, like, a second village with, you know, some other like-minded people that maybe, you know, you don't think might fit into this first one. But pass it on. Bring other people into the village where you can. Um, that always helps.
0: Mm. Yeah, so good. So, such good tips. Um, is there anything else that's kind of popped up for you that's been really challenging throughout your postpartum experience? Um.
1: For me, my number one anxiety and challenge, I think, is the sleep industry. So I fell into the giant big rabbit hole of um, a sleep consultant telling me that I needed to X, Y, Z. And I guess the, the context around that is that I went to my GP for my daughter's six-week um, kind of immunizations and examinations, stuff like that. And she said to me, oh, wow, you look really tired. And at the time, I knew that I was tired. But I was like, oh, my God, someone has actually vocally just said that to me, to my face. And I'm thinking, am I supposed to look refreshed? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I didn't just step off a plane from Hawaii. <laughs> I have a six-week-old.
0: Yeah. You know, oh, my God.
1: In, in one kind of thought, I was thinking, yeah, I know that. And then that other like, you know, that kind of devil on your shoulder's going, "Should you be looking this bad?"
0: Oh, well, yeah, like, do you look worse than not? Yeah. Oh, wow, you
1: look really you really other people are noticing you look really tired. And again, it comes into that um that mum guilt, that judgement of like, "Oh my god, people are noticing that you're not doing a good job." That's what I felt like. You're tired, you're not doing a good job, you have to fix it. And and I said, yeah, I actually, yeah, I am really, really tired. Um, and she said to me, oh, what's going on? And I'm thinking, well, I have a newborn, like surprise. Um, <laughs> and I said, oh, well, look, you know, she's only sleeping 45 minutes at a time. She goes, oh, no, you'll need to change that. And I was like, hmm, what? And she was like, no, you'll need you you'll need to fix that. I don't don't want to keep that going. And I was like, oh, okay. And for the first time, again, it was like, I'm doing something wrong. My baby's broken. What am I doing wrong? Oh we, oh, we need to fix it. Quick, let's fix it. Let's fix it. Again, type A personality. We need to fix everything. You're the problem solver, Renee. You've always been rewarded for being a problem solver. Okay. So, and again, I don't like judgment. So I was like, right, we need to fix it. We need to be doing the best that we can. I need to be the best mother that I can. And so she gave me um, a number to a sleep consultant. And it just spiralled. It absolutely spiralled from there. It was that classic one minute in, one minute out when you're trying to get them to sleep. And because, because she had set me on this one minute in, one minute out, I started to count minutes, right? And that is where it really fed off my anxiety. And so when my daughter would go to sleep, I would literally be timing it. I'd be like, you know, and the schedule that they gave me, it was like, She needs to be in the cot for X amount of time. And, you know, if she wakes up early, then you leave her in the cot because that still counts as time. And that always, (laughs) that always never made sense to me. I was like, but she's awake. How is that? I was like, how is that? Still sleep time like that, like you know. Like, don't overthink <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm kind of like Russell Crowe in Beautiful Mind, like trying to like work out like all these equations of like what is, what what how does that work, and um that was definitely one of the worst decisions I made because being quite an anxious person already, as I said, I was counting the minutes when she was going to sleep and it turned into this horrendous um, spiral where I would get really cross if she didn't have the time to sleep that the schedule had told me. What I know now is that's complete bullshit. Um, You can bleep that out if you like to. But um, I understand now that... A child has a, you know, not awake windows, but rather if you look at their day as 24 hours, they will take the sleep that they want and need. And a normal, in quotation marks, um, sleep kind of journey for a child can be nine hours in a 24-hour period or 17 hours in a 24-hour period. And that is all normal you are not a bad mother. You don't need to be anxious about it. You do not need to be forcing your child in a quiet room with white noise and it's pitch black in order to have them take all of this sleep that maybe they physiologically don't need. Um, and I wish I had stumbled across um, Dr. Pamela Douglas from the Possums Program. She wrote a wonderful book called The Discontented Little Baby Book. Which I actually, you know, I read when I was about three years postpartum and I'm not joking, I cried for a lot of it because I felt so guilty around the things that I kind of put upon myself I put upon my daughter, I put upon my husband. It was the only thing that my husband and I really fought about, which was, oh, my God, we need to get her to sleep and we need to rush from this place to this place because she needs to have her nap time. And if we don't get that window, then it's all going to be, like, it's all going to be go to the, you know, mm-hmm. the shite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I put a lot of pressure on everyone in my family and I re- that's probably one of the only things that I really, really regret um, because it was unnecessary pressure and it was based off fluff and fiction yeah. and there's no, there is no evidence to support any of that at all. Like the meta-analysis has been conducted. It's right there in black and white. There's nothing to support it whatsoever. So that's probably one of the things that I regret And I really just, (laughs) I pray and wish that everyone reads that book because it normalises motherhood, it normalises parenthood, it normalises normal infant behaviour. And if more people, I think, just my opinion, but I think that if more people are educated on the true behaviours physiological behaviours of our infants going into becoming parents, there will be less stress and anxiety on families to feel like they're being the good mother, the good father. Oh, my baby's broken. I need to fix it. Oh, I think it's got colic. I think they've got reflux. They don't. A lot of the times they don't, okay? Mm -hmm. It's just normal cry-fussing behaviour And instead of trying to fix your baby, what we need to start doing is supporting parents, supporting mothers. The babies are fine. Leave them. They're okay. Because if we start supporting our mothers and fathers better, they will be replenished. They will be recovered. They won't be as sleep deprived. And they are the ones who truly should be looking after their babies so leave them with their babies. We just need to be looking after the parents a bit better.
0: That's so good. I feel like so many mums will just be taking a huge sigh of relief, like yeah. just hearing you say that. It's just, yeah. I think everyone needs to hear that. That's just you're so not much broken. You're, yeah. You
1: are not broken, mama. Trust me. You mm. just need to call on that village. You need to get the support that you truly deserve and need. And you will thrive. You absolutely will. Promise.
0: Yeah. yeah um if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice is there anything in particular you would
1: (laughs) don't hire the sleep consultant (laughs) yeah
0: the best advice (laughs) to everyone
1: call I do you know what I would have done and I know this sounds like so cliche and people are going oh yeah sure I would get a postpartum doula I honestly would because um they are there to nurture and nourish you they cook you meals and I don't care who you hire. Like, you know, like Mm. don't I I do, the money is not important to me. It is supporting mothers Mm. who are in absolute need and that is what a postpartum doula does. They help you with emotional practical support. They help you build that village. They help support your partner. They walk you through, you know, that kind of, you know, the birth debrief and things like that. We don't get enough opportunity for that you know, as as mothers and fathers as well. So I would hire a, a birth doula and if that's something that is out of your budget and I appreciate that, you know, it is quite an expenditure as well, I would invest in a village. I would fill your freezer. I would start building those people. Get a great lactation consultant. See them before you have your baby. Understand your anatomy. Um and actually, one other thing, I interviewed a wonderful midwife, Jan Island, who um, is the co-founder of MAMA, which is Midwives and Mothers Australia. They've got a centre in Kensington, which was a stone's throw away from where I lived in um, Melbourne and also in Hampton. And I interviewed her on the podcast and I asked her, "What would you, what, what's your piece of advice for birthing mothers? And she almost made or she did, she made me cry with this one. She said to me, I would, I would get naked, I would stand in front of the mirror, and I would start to really get familiar with your own body, understand and appreciate the body that you have, the body that is growing your baby, the body that is about to birth your baby. And you, and when you do that, you become so familiar with it that you know the strength and the power that you have and that you can get through that birth. You can. We are Mm. built to do that. Mm. And I wish I had done that because, you know, my brain spiraled. I still had a great birth, but I do wish that I had more faith in Mm. myself. Um,
0: Yeah. But, yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for today, Renee. This has been amazing. How can everyone find you if they want to follow you or listen to your podcast? How can we all go about doing that?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, as I said, we're postpartum doulas. We've got a beautiful doula village in Melbourne and Hobart. So if you're interested in um, some care, we've, um, our website is ifillyourcup.com. We are just about to, um, or depending on when this actually goes live, but <laughs> um, at the end of July 2022, we're about to launch our first um, FYC products so they will include our signature goji and dark chocolate lactation cookie mix so you can cook these beautiful cookies at home they have been an absolute number one snack item on our fyc mama menu for the past two years um we offer so many different snacks and these Mm. mamas are just like more more cookies (laughs) more cookies more (laughs) cookies so that's why we're um, doing the cookie mix because we want to be able to bring that to all the mamas across Australia. We've also got our um, creamy coconut dal um, dry mix as well. It's first in market to have organic chicken bone broth in the packet. So all you have to do is tip it into a saucepan, add a can of coconut cream and some water, and you've got a beautiful, nourishing lunch or dinner, totally freezeable. So fill your freezer with that. <laughs> And, of course, it would be remiss of us to not have some sort of luxe pamper um, product as well. So we've got our postpartum recovery sits, which has got seven organic um, botanicals in it as well as some um, magnesium chloride salts to kind of soothe that sore (laughs) cha-cha after your birth. Um, So, yeah, ifillyourcup.com. They'll go on sale um, at the end of uh, July. Our podcast is The Science of Motherhood and if people want to reach out to us on social media, we're typically over on Instagram mostly I would say, so we're at fill your
0: cup underscore. So
1: um, yeah, thanks so much for having me though. Thank you. Oh my God, I honestly feel like
0: we could have spoken for another hour. There are so many <laughs> points that I was like, oh my God, more on this, more on this. But yeah, if, if people want more, they can go and listen. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to dive into a lot of your episodes as well. I know I'll learn a lot from you as well. Oh, thank you. It's cool. really thanks.
1: sweet. <laughs>
0: I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Renee. I have left the information on how you can follow Renee and how you can order those delicious meal kits from her website in the show notes. If you enjoyed this chat, don't forget to share it with a friend, post it on your social media account um, and leave me a review. It would just help me so much to get these beautiful postpartum stories out into the wild. Thank you.